Welcome back to another episode of the Fantasy Baseball Buds podcast. We are recording on Monday, May 16th. It's been a while since we've talked to you guys, uh, but it's for good reason, though. Got to go out and visit Matt in Las Vegas. Matt, welcome to the podcast. Any uh, big takeaways you want to talk about from our trip? I think the most notable for me is us ripping some wax at a, a local card shop. Yeah, we. Uh, I think this is the first time we actually got moderately lucky. Um, well, who do we pull? Nathan Peterman, Peterson. Nate Pierce. Nate Pearson. Nate Pearson. There we go. There we go. I spent about three hundred. You spent about a hundred. I think I also got a Dylan Carlson auto, which uh, kind of joked. Had this been two years ago, we're probably jumping up and down the card store thinking that we hit gold. How things changed quickly in regards to prospects and actually uh, on the field production, huh? Yeah, I, I, when we first pulled it, I was like, oh, well, for those of you guys who don't know, we pulled a Topps Chrome Sapphire Nate Pearson autograph. It wasn't numbered, but we looked it up. It goes for right around 50 to 75 bucks, but I think we both thought that was a three to $400 card, but it was a little upsetting to see that he was only that much on eBay. We also pulled a, a Kiel Badoo green refractor tops chrome that was numbered out of 50 or was it 25 that one goes for right around the same price so it was exciting nonetheless well i think it's interesting right like i've i've gotten into card buying recently uh bowman first uh autos this and that and then you look at the idea of these players that have kind of lost prospect ability or essentially their prospect shine after the first year being in the major leagues of Badu and I think Nate Pearson kind of bring that to mind. And those are the opportunity players for you. If you go out and you spend 30 to $40 on Nate Pearson signed auto, that's just going to be an opportunity if he comes up. And as you and I kind of talked, like maybe he takes that closers role if Jordan Romano falters or maybe he enters the rotation. Um, just something interesting to look at it if you're getting into cards because I think the rookies right now are extremely overpriced. You're definitely going to have an arm and a leg uh, taken off yourself if you're going out there and buying that. But definitely it was an enjoyable time. Um, and we, we like that card shop. Yeah, and it was nice to see that they showed you the, what was it, the whatnot? App yes. or something like that yes. where they actually do their own breaks live in the store so that was kind of cool never got to actually see a shop where they actually do the breaks but not nonetheless let's uh let's get into some fantasy baseball since it's been a while we'll go over some news and notes we'll go over some players that have kind of been breaking out to start the season we'll go over if we believe they are for real or not then we'll just kind of break down what our top 15 pitchers look like as far as points scored in our head-to-head dynasty league kind of what our general thoughts are and then we'll finish up the podcast with some prospects we're keeping an eye on highly noted prospects when we think they're coming up so let's jump right in we've got a handful of injured pitchers a lot that we liked as breakouts we'll start out with tyler mcgill Lands on the aisle with right bicep tendonitis. In his last start, he went one and a third with eight earned runs. Yikes. Jesus Lazardo hit the aisle as well with a left forearm strain over two and two thirds with four earned runs, four walks, and six strikeouts in his last start. Clayton Kershaw hit the aisle with SI joint inflammation. Doesn't seem like he's going to be on there long, so that's uh, a scare, but uh, it was uh, avoided, so that's good to see for the Dodgers. 
Blake Snell's set to return from the IL on Tuesday, but he is pitching against the Philadelphia Phillies. He's been out all season with an adductor strain, so I'd be cautious if you have him to, you know, start him. I would say, though, if he does have a bad start, maybe this is your time to buy low on Blake Snell. You know, he's got that injury risk, and if he falters coming against a hot Phillies team, this might be the lowest point that Blake Snell has as far as value. I think it only goes up from here, although he does carry that injury risk, so just know that. Brandon Lau hit the IL today with lower back pain. Reed Detmers threw the first no-hitter of the season that was by a single pitcher. There has been, I think, one or two no-hitters that occurred, but multiple pitchers combined to do it. Bryce Harper has revealed that he has a torn UCL, and that's kind of why he's been playing DH. Doesn't seem to be slowing him down as he's batting 305 with 9 homers, 29 runs, and 27 RBIs. And since the last time we've talked with you guys, there's been a flurry of call-ups. We'll get into some more notable ones, but the ones we have uh, to talk about right here in the news and notes section are two Minnesota Twins. One's looking pretty good, the other one not so much. The first one is Jose Miranda, third base. He's batting 114 with only two runs, a homer, and three RBIs since his call-up. And then Royce Lewis batting 281 with two runs, a home run, and four RBIs. I believe it was a grand slam, so that's exciting to see. So, Matt, what are your main takeaways? And uh, more specifically, what do you think of these uh, these first two, McGill and Lazardo, that we liked as breakouts and now we're on the shelf? Yeah, I think it's uh, it's disheartening kind of looking at some of these breakout pitchers that we had slotted into, you know, whether it be categories leagues or points leagues, guys that we were able to pick up and kind of slide in there and kind of piece our rotations together. I, in one categories league, have McGill, have Lizardo. Uh, I have a list of other breakouts on that team. And I think we're starting to see the point in the season now where those breakout pitchers are really being tested. Uh, we saw a, a couple big blowups this past week. And I think we're going to continue to see that as things go forward. Uh, Merrill Kelly, what we'll talk about in our for real or not uh, classification here later on, hasn't blown up yet. But McGill and Lazardo do have the injuries. I think that was definitely kind of the breaking point for their breakouts. We'll have to see. Can they come back healthy? They're both possible Tommy John injuries that we've seen in the past, right? Nothing officially is out there yet as opposed to that injury. Um, but Kyle Ryan had a blow up as well, I think about two starts ago, so about 10 days ago, giving up six runs to Boston. There was a grand slam by Rafi Devers that kind of inflated that that run um, stat line. But point being here is I think we're going to start to see some of these breakout pitchers either solidify themselves as good startable fantasy options or guys that, you know, were just hot for a month as the weather was cold and as things were starting to heat up and batters were starting to perform better. Um, so definitely a bummer for McGill and Lazardo. I think I'm more disappointed for McGill because he definitely was flashing some top three of the rotation upside there, and he's got the guys to learn from in New York. And outside of that, I think the Blake Snell news. Um, you currently are a holder of Blake Snell in the Dynasty League, and you know you mentioned this is the time to, to buy low. So I think I'm willing to offer you Jose Miranda for Blake Snell straight up, and I, I think you should accept. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. There the we listeners, go. There we go. Matt actually dropped Jose Miranda in our Dynasty League for a hot-hitting aspect, Corbin Carroll. He's not our note, so we might as well just talk about him right now. He didn't really flash much power in the minors, I believe, but most recently he's hit, what, four or five home runs back-to-back, -back, and that's more 
than he's hit in his whole minor league career last year. So he's uh, showing some power right now, and he's got the speed, got a, got the hit tool. So he's looking to be like a five-tool player, but we may not see him for a couple years. Matt, care to weigh in? Uh, yeah, I would disagree. I think he'll be up possibly at the end of this season, and if not the end of this season, definitely next season. Uh, he's 21, will be 22. Flashed an incredible start to the season last year in the 2021 season, and then um, hurt his shoulder pretty, I think it was first week or second week of the minor league season last year, which is really disappointing because you and I actually jumped on the podcast and like talked about his hot start, and then the next podcast we had to talk about that. It was, I think it was a torn labrum. Um, but Carroll is starting to show like a decorated ability on the field. Wherever he goes, he performs. He's at double A right now, which was a very aggressive assignment, especially coming off that injury last year in A ball. Uh, I, I would expect him to be in triple A within, say, a month here. And if he can continue to go to triple A and perform at the rate he's doing, showcasing his high level hit tool, as well as his found power and his overall ability on defense with that base stealing ability, I would expect him to join Alec Thomas in the major leagues. The simple fact that this Diamondbacks team is terrible. They're bad. They're not fun to watch either. There are very few people on that team that are like, oh, I want to tune in for this at bat or I need to watch this start. So I think getting Corbin Carroll with Alec Thomas in that outfield as soon as possible is just going to kind of start to solidify that rebuild so that these fans actually have something to show up for. And then you look at Jordan Lawler, like Jordan Lawler is still playing very, very well. If I checked a little bit ago, I think he's hitting 320 with six home runs. You know, like his development is also might be expedited then if Carroll and Thomas can start to perform at the big league level. And again, it's can you perform at the level you're at? So Carroll has done that. I do look for a promotion to do AAA soon. Well, and the only caveat with that is, like you said, the Diamondbacks have been so awful. I believe they are playing above what they're expected. So I don't see them being that aggressive with Carroll. I do think he'll be at AAA by the end of the year, but there's no need to rush him right now. Next year, for sure, I could see him making an ascend just like Alec Thomas did this year. But let's move on. Let's go into our for real or nah as you have it highlighted. So we'll go over like the first four or five. I don't want to go down the list too fast and skip some of these people. So we'll start with Rowdy Telez, our big boy from Milwaukee Brewers. He's got 29 RBIs to start the season. The person we've talked up, Taylor Ward, batting 385 with eight home runs, typically batting leadoff for the Angels. Merrill Kelly, you mentioned 42 innings, has 38 strikeouts and flirting with a 1.71 ERA. You like to see that. And then C.J. Crone over in Colorado, betting 305 with nine home runs. Honestly, I think almost all of these are for real. The one I would maybe sell is Rowdy Telez. I don't think he can sustain that average. I think you're going to look at a player who's got 200 to 225 batting average, so I don't think he's going to bat above 250 like he is now. But what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think I think Telez could sit around 240. Um he reminds me a lot of the season Jesus Aguilar had in Milwaukee as well, where, you know, surrounded by a bunch of guys that can get on base, which the Brewers lineup this season we've called into question, but they're very good at getting on base. And Telez has sold out for the power this year. You see that in the 29 RBIs there, a lot of doubles, a lot of home runs. And I think that'll keep his average as well, 230, 240. And I think even at 230, 240, if he continues to drive the ball and drive runs in, he's going to be a startable player, much like Jesus Aguilar was, for the simple fact that he's going to have those counting numbers. 
Um, and first base, it's a little weaker this season. We're seeing guys like Spencer Torkelson and Jared Walsh that you know you expected to be able to start falter quite a bit. So Telez is kind of stepping into that role. Um, I wouldn't. I would say fringe top ten first baseman. You know, um, he's a guy that you can't really be looking to trade if you have him, and I wouldn't really be looking to trade for him. I just think he's a guy that's going to be serviceable until you can figure out what else to do at first base. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with that. The one I did want to talk about is Merrill Kelly. As much as I like to buy him, and we talked about him in previous podcasts and how I like what he's done with his changeup and he's changed his grip, I would be looking to sell high if I could. I don't believe he's going to be sporting below a 2 ERA. I think he sits closer to 3-5, maybe 4. I'm looking at his baseball savant page as we speak, and you know his chase rate is in the 89th percentile, but everything else is kind of a pack, you know, 50 to 70th percentile and average exit velocity hard hit rate uh, expected batting average expected era so it's not the the top 30 type of starting pitcher that he's looking like right now so as much as i like him i do think he's going to do better than what he's done in the past but i don't buy exactly what he's doing so i'm gonna take a step back and um kind of retract my statement from earlier of buying him so i guess kind of buy and sell at the same time yeah he's um he's a guy that i honestly don't even think i'd pick up if he were on the waiver wire uh you know our dynasty league very shallow we talked about that last night merrill kelly um, but clay holmes and michael king are also on the waiver wire i think i'd rather have both of those guys even though they're only rp eligible than Merrill Kelly because I just have zero faith that what we're seeing right now with Kelly is true. And also, it's not such a bad team. You know, like wins are a big part of our league, obviously seven points. Um, but I think out of these four guys, the one I'm most excited about is Taylor Ward, not necessarily because of the numbers that we're seeing right now, but because of the lineup he's in. Even if he is half of the player that he is today, you're going to see a guy that has great counting numbers, that scores runs, that is able to have RBI opportunities. And again, great lineup. You have uh, Anthony Rendon, you have Michael Trout, you know, you have Otani, all with the ability to drive him in. I, I just think leading off in that lineup is such an advantage for Ward. And he's a guy that, for the most part, everyone picked up off the waiver wire. I could see him being this year's Cedric Mullins. What about you, Richie? Yeah, I, I kind of see him as Cedric Mullins' light. I don't think he's going to steal as many bases as Cedric Mullins, but I think he's definitely going to give you those runs. I think he can produce the same amount of power. And, well, for the simple fact, I don't believe he was a switch hitter that just went to one side like Cedric Mullins. But I, I, I do see him as the Cedric Mullins in a sense that this is the breakout outfielder who could potentially be a top 50 overall draft pick this time next year. Well, I shouldn't say this time next year, but next year we're going into the into the season. Yeah, no, I fully I fully agree with you, and I, I think you know Mullins has kind of picked it back up a little bit, but every year we have a guy that breaks out like this that just for whatever reason figures it out, and I think Ward, unlike uh, Cedric Mullins, he's got the lineup to continue to produce, and, and he's an exciting player. All right, let's move on to some players that we didn't really necessarily have on anybody's radar coming into the season, but Brandon Drury batting 250 with seven home runs, 18 runs, and 22 RBIs for the Cincinnati Reds. 
I think that ballpark definitely has a lot to do with his power potential right now. And he's kind of one of the most added players on ESPN. Moving on to Josh Naylor, he's been on fire before hitting the being out with COVID. He's betting 347 with five home runs, 10 runs, and 22 RBIs. I watched his most recent uh, power production coming out of um, the matchup against the Chicago White Sox. Watched him go up against my Liam Hendricks uh, when Liam Hendricks was into close game. This is loaded. Liam Hendricks did not have command of his slider at all. It was going straight in the dirt, so he relied on his fastball, and Josh Naylor knew that, and he just got one right down the middle and just crushed it for a grand slam, and then later went into extra innings, and he had a, a walk-off home run, so he was on fire there. I don't know how much of it he can fully sustain, but he is hot right now. We'll see what happens when he comes off of the COVID list. Juan Yepes. Call up for the St. Louis Cardinals. He's batting 366 with seven runs, two home runs, and four RBIs since his call up. And then Alec Thomas, we briefly mentioned, got called up for the Arizona Diamondbacks and is sporting a 368 batting average. I do believe in it, but I don't know if it's going to stay that high. I think we can expect something closer to 290 to 300 and uh, maybe 15 home runs by the end of the season, I think is reasonable for Alec Thomas. So let's stop there, get your breakdown, Matt, and then we'll move on to the last set of the for real or not. Yeah, I think the two that I'm most excited about here are probably Yepes and Josh Naylor. Naylor has been a guy that has excited me with his raw ability dating back to the World Series team. Has battled injuries and just kind of freak injuries. And with that kind of body size, he just hasn't produced into a player that I have fallen in love with and added and started. And I think he's very similar to a guy like Roddy Telez, where, hey, he's playing this season. Ironically, right now, he's not playing with that COVID IL stint. But I think if Naylor can play 130 games this season, we're going to start to change the preference for what we see him moving forward in fantasy leagues. A guy that probably slates above guys like Walsh and Telez as a top 10 player. Um, but again, he's falling into those years of his prime. And in, again, also getting the opportunity to play every single day. Uh, I, I do expect him to probably continue and finish off the year around 270 with possibly 20 to 30 home runs. But again, it comes down to playing time. Juan Yepes has been slotted as a guy like a Jordan Alvarez there in St. Louis, but from the right side of the plate. First major league home run was kind of a cheap shot. It was blown out because of high winds there in St. Louis, but he did have another secondary home run this past weekend, which was pretty nice. Uh, I expect kind of overall production to be... Uh, a little bit timid this season since it's his rookie season, and there's going to be a lot of movement in that St. Louis lineup, although he has started almost every single game since coming up. And I think the Cardinals need it. They need that power production there. It's a lot of with Goldschmidt and Arenado. Obviously, um, Paul O'Neill has not played the – is it Paul O'Neill? Tyler. Thank you. Although Tyler O'Neill has not played the way we expected him to coming into the season, so they do need the offense. And then Alec Thomas, right? We talked about him a little bit with Corbin Carroll. I expect Corbin Carroll to be the better overall player, but they are very similar players when you actually look at them in a vacuum. Both left-handed hitters. They are both under six feet tall. Uh, both guys that play the field well, do run bases, and, and high-contact guys. Uh, Thomas being in the major leagues, again, is a, is a paving way for me to have Cor Corbin Carroll come up. Uh, but again, I think 
when you look at this Diamondbacks team, they're kind of going to structure themselves around getting on base, making solid contact, stealing bases, playing good defense, and having guys that can have high counting stats. And that's what Alec Thomas is. And it's going to be flashes of that through his rookie season. The problem is his talent surrounding him this season is not very good. So while he may be on base, he may be stealing bags, scoring those runs might be a problem. Yeah, I fully agree. I'm just a little more skeptical on your Josh Naylor take, but we will see. Let's move on. George Kirby recently got called up with Matt Brash struggling. He did excellent in his first start, going six innings with seven strikeouts. But he did have a rough start against the Mets his second time out. I did watch that game. You could tell he had his nerves through the roof. Not only are you going up against a big lineup in the Mets, but they were saying on the broadcast, and I didn't know this, he grew up in New York, and everybody from his hometown was in attendance. So I think that the adrenaline, everything, the pressure to perform in front of that crowd got the best of him. He did only give up one earned run, but there was three or four runs given up while he was starting. But there was a few errors, ended up with only one strikeout. His control is a little spotty, which is what his niche was in the minor leagues. So I'm looking to see what he does in his next few outings to see kind of where he lands. You know, this was kind of not the best case scenario, but it wasn't the worst case scenario, like kind of Matt Brash where he gives up multiple earned runs and can't get out of the first or second inning. He did settle down a little bit. So I'm curious to see what he does against an average team rather than playing one of the the high caliber teams. Moving on, Paul Blackburn has four wins with a 1.67 ERA, and he plays the Angels on Friday. Tony Gonsolin for the Dodgers is sporting a 133 ERA. And then lastly, you mentioned just earlier, Michael King and Clay Holmes together have been phenomenal for the New York Yankees. Michael King has 31 strikeouts and a 1.59 ERA and a .93 whip. If you're playing in categories leagues or saves and hold leagues, I think this is the number one pickup. You need to go get this guy if he's not already picked up. And then Clay Holmes, same thing, 18 strikeouts, 0.49 ERA with a .76 whip, always in high leverage situations, already has four wins on the season. So I think the big takeaways here, if you're in categories, is get those Yankees relievers. And if Kirby is available, snatch him up just to see what he does. And uh, I, I think I believe in Paul Blackburn a little bit, but... I kind of want to see what he does over a longer stretch. What are your thoughts, Matt? Yeah, just another Oakland A that somehow comes out of the ashes and pitches at a high-end level only to be traded and never be good again, probably. Um, I think the big thing to focus on here is Kirby, right? Kirby was the next wave of these pitchers, and you and I talked. Is he going to be a Manoa, or is he going to be, you know, a guy that falters. We kind of talked about Reed Detmers being that guy before the no-hitter, right? Reed Detmers' strikeout rate isn't necessarily where we expected it to be. Um, I think the jury's still out on Kirby. We need to see a couple more starts. He does play Boston this Thursday, which is a tough lineup as well. And I, I, honestly, I want to give these guys 10 starts before we really know who they are. Not really fair to judge him after three starts, even after this Boston performance, going up against the Mets in Boston, two good lineups. Definitely a guy that I think has the presence on the mound and has the stuff to stick in this rotation this season and as well as find his way really you know find his way in terms of his pitch mix in the major leagues um, and then pitching deep into games I think he has that ability as well and, and then you talk about Blackburn you know again a guy that's as of right now startable um, I think we'll have to see more again of him as well he pitches against the Angels on Friday so does he have a blow-up start there if not I think you have more confidence with him moving forward 
And then in, in, in regards to King and Holmes, um, you know, this is exactly what the Yankees needed in order to be productive and to be competitive this season. And I think you have two guys as it stands right now that both kind of fit into that Josh Hader role the first season he came up where, you know, yes, they are getting wins and yes, they are getting strikeouts. So they may actually be more productive in points leagues than a traditional closer if you don't have a guy that you can really trust and then in categories leagues they're guys that you absolutely have to have in there because again they're getting saves they're getting wins they're getting holds the eras the whip and the k's are all in positions that you like to see um, i don't expect them both to continue this dominance if they do the yankees have an absolute walk to the playoffs but i do think hold on to both of them maybe rotate them in and out of your rotation if you have them uh your your categories uh, ro- roster that is um, definitely two people that I think are currently available in our league and shouldn't be. Yeah, I completely agree with everything you said. Let's move on now to the top 15 pitchers in our dynasty league. We do play in a head to head points league where seven points are awarded for a win and seven points are awarded for a quality start. And then you get one point for a strikeout and a minus 0.5 for a walk. So, I think on ESPN, number one is Shohei Otani. That is according to his batting stats, so we're going to throw him out here. But number one, if you don't know already, Matt, if you haven't looked, do you know who the number one pitcher is besides Otani? Yes, I do. It is Joe Musgrove. Ding, 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 ding. We have a winner. (laughs) Joe Musgrove has 150.5 points. Let's kind of just go through the top. I'm just going to list them all off, and then um, we can kind of go from there. Number two, we have Justin Verlander. He is looking like the ace that he was before Tommy John. Prime for a Cy Young award at the end of the year. Then we have Max Scherzer, Kevin Gosman, Alec Manoa, Corbin Burns, Pablo Lopez, Carlos Rodon. I think the biggest surprise here coming next is Kyle Wright. Um, looking like a stud this year, followed by Chris Bassett, Sean Manaya, and Frankie Montas. So a lot of these names we kind of expected to be in the top, at least you and I did, with Joe uh, Justin Verlander. We had Joe Musgrove, I believe, in our top 20. Um, we were high on Alec Manoa, but did not think he was going to be this great to come out of the, the gates. And then Kyle Wright, um, we liked him in spring training, but didn't think he would ascend this quickly but the rest of the guys kind of seem on par for the course what do you think yeah i mean i think you know kyle wright we'll have to see i i feel a lot better about wright after this start in san diego he had the blow up performance as i talked about in boston um and it's always hard you give up a grand slam with two outs that's what the the circumstances were for wright he and he it was a fastball down the middle to devers and it's like okay that could have drastically changed your run line had you gotten devers out so it was like, okay, let's see how he comes back in San Diego, comes back. The, 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 the Braves don't win that game, but he pitched a very, very good line. It was like, okay, he bounced back, right? Like that's really something I like to see from a pitcher. Dylan Cease had a pretty bad start this week. Carlos Rodon had a really bad start, but we have faith in those guys to bounce back. This was my first faith and trust building start from Kyle Wright, and that's a really step, big step forward for him. I think the biggest surprise that I have in all honesty is that people didn't have more faith in Justin Verlander. Um, you know, a bunch of the guys that we listen to, CBS podcast guys, Eno Saris of The Athletic, myself included, I knew Verlander was going to come back, no problem, and pitch like this. This was an almost 100% guarantee 
because if you look at his overall performance in his career, he's just been so dominant and he had so much time off to just heal. And I think a lot of people in a lot of leagues are probably kicking themselves now because it's like, well, yeah, Verlander's Verlander. You know, who's who's shocked by this? And then the last one I'll comment on is Alec Manoa. I think he's a guy that's kind of built up by a good team. Um, and he has the Yankees number for all tens and purposes here. Like Manoa beats the best team in his division and he and he has them every single start I've watched since he's come up. That's a huge piece for him as well. Uh, I, I do expect him to be top 15. I don't expect him to be top 10 the rest of the season because I just don't think he's ready to be top 10. But definitely impressed with what I've seen so far from Alec Manoa. Yeah, the only time Alec Manoa does bad is when I'm in Vegas visiting you and I have a 10-game parlay to get me a couple grand and he can't get a win for me. Sad. <laughs> <laughs> who is he playing? Uh, was that the, was that against Cleveland? It was... I think it was I against Cleveland. who it was, but it was somebody they were... It was a reliever day, and I was like, oh, this is easy. The, the Blue Jays are going to get this for sure. It was somebody like the Mariners or something like that, and I was like, oh, that's an easy win right there. Man, was I wrong. Oh, yeah, and they've been on... They've been on like a, two to three or something. They've been on a skid, too, lately, the Blue Jays, that is. Um, just not able to find the offensive production, which is something we'll have to keep an eye on from a fantasy perspective. But, you know, definitely yeah, doesn't help yeah. your parlays. No. Anyways, let's move on now to the final segment of the night. And these are five prospects that we uh, like a lot and we think can reach the majors here in the next couple weeks or less. So I'll go through them all and kind of see which ones you're most excited about. I'm going to go reverse order of the list you have here just because I think he's going to be the first one called up, and that is Max Meyer of the Miami Marlins. Down in AAA, he's gone 36 and a third innings, sporting a 297 ERA. He does have 10 walks, which you don't really like, but he has 43 strikeouts. And with Jesus Lazardo on the IL, there is now an opening for a rotation spot. And Eliezer Hernandez has been faltering of late. So there possibly could be two. Um, Sixto Sanchez is not back from the IL. So I think we see him maybe next week or in a, a week after that. What do you think about that, Matt? Yeah, I mean, I think you look at overall Meyer's abilities in he's probably one of the most dominant pitchers right now in the minor leagues Um, from all tons and purposes, just, you know, game to game ability there. Uh, His last start was May 12th against looks like Nashville here. He did lose the game, uh, pitched five innings, had seven hits, six runs. Yikes. So he had a kind of a blow up start in this last performance here. And it was something I had actually heard uh, earlier in the week, but I don't think that will deter Miami from actually bringing him up. They're either going to bring him up because that's part of the plan and they want to get him solidified in this rotation, or they're going to continue to keep him down until next year. That's what I believe. Uh, Edward Cabrera also has the opportunity to take this opening in the rotation, but it's really coming down to Meyer is the better pitcher in my opinion. What do you think? Yeah, I I like Meyer a lot more. He was a highly touted prospect. I know a lot of people in the organization like Edward Cabrera, but he's already shown a lot of injury concerns. He struggled out of the gate last year, didn't even start pitching until I believe June or July last year, and then made a late uh, call-up where he struggled, had over a 5 ERA. Then we start this season, and he has that bicep injury, the same one. 
And so now I think he's only pitched five innings, maybe 10 innings now in the minor league. So he's not even fully built up. So that's why I think Max Meyer gets the first call. Um, and I haven't looked at their schedule. They might just be able to go with four starters and maybe a reliever day in there until they figure out, do they want to stretch out Edward Cabrera and give him a, a chance? Because he is on the 40-man roster where Max Meyer isn't. So they'd have to clear up some space. Um, so I guess we'll see. I do believe, though, if we find out Max Meyer has his next AAA start skipped, I think we'll know in the next coming days. So by the next time we talk to our listeners, I think we'll have a clear-cut answer. Yeah, and you bringing up the 40-man rotation is huge because that's spot on. You know, teams like the Miami Marlins, the Milwaukee Brewers, the, you know, uh, the Tampa Bay Rays, like the 40-man rotation, who's placed in that rotation is bigger than you think it is. They have stra like strategically uh, structured that lineup for the most part to be guys that are going to be up this season. So they have to feel pretty strongly about Meyer if they want to make the decision to move him in. Yeah, completely agree. Let's move on now to the next highly touted pitching prospects, Brayton Rodriguez of the Baltimore Orioles. Through seven games, he's gone 32 innings pitched with a 3.09 ERA. Also has 10 walks, but 46 strikeouts. I think it's just a matter of time. I don't really know what they're waiting for. He's got not much left to prove. I think he's better than half of the pitchers they have pitching uh, in Baltimore right now. I do worry about his ERA right away, but I do think the strikeouts will translate at the next level, and I think it's just a matter of time. I mean, we, we taught him up almost every other podcast. Um, I think now's your time to grab him because as soon as he gets called up, it's going to be a mad dash to the waiver wire. Yeah, and I think this is the last opportunity we talk about him. Um, I think this is this is probably the last time we have him in our prospect rankings in minor leagues, and also the same thing with Ali Rutschman. I think they both probably come up by next Wednesday, would be my guess. Um, but definitely excited for him. He's been rostered in our Dynasty League for, I think, two and a half years now, so the team has patiently been waiting for the opportunity to start him. I think the wall dimensional changes there in Baltimore is going to help that ERA a little bit. I do agree with you. I think ERA wins are going to be something that we kind of uh, hold our breath with for the first season. But Grayson Rodriguez is the next big-time talent. And we talked about Max Meyer there. Max Meyer really is a guy that has two-pitch mix that we're confident in. Grayson Rodriguez has three, if not four, pitches that we're comfortable with. So you look at him as having a four-year, five-year window of success right off the bat. I think he's going to be a guy that has more consistency in his performance. Meyer's a little more flashy. Yeah, I, I like those those comps. Let's move on now to your boy, Riley Green. He's been cleared for baseball activities. It was a devastating blow when he had a, was it a broken foot to begin the season, and they said it'd take six to eight weeks for him to recover. Now you have Austin Meadows on the IL for the Detroit Tigers, and they are lacking offensive power. So I think he slots in as soon as he's ready to go. I think I worry a little bit about him coming out of the gate a little bit slow, kind of like what we've seen with Spencer Torkelson. But I do think in a dynasty perspective, he is worth the wait and you should hold on to him and not let him go like a Jose Miranda. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, and I mean, they're different kinds of prospects, right? You know, you look at Riley Green as being a guy that was drafted in the top four picks, highly touted, um, you know, amateur hitter. 
And you look at Miranda as a guy that, you know, had the one season flash in the pan, really found his ability. Maybe it was the age. Maybe it was just the time in the minor leagues. They're different prospects. And it's interesting to look at after Julio Rodriguez, these outfielder prospects that are kind of following suit, Alec Thomas, Corbin Carroll, Riley Green, contact first hitters, high athletic ability, good defenders, you know, good counting stack guys who are kind of going to find their power as they hit the major leagues. And I'm kind of excited for it for Major League Baseball. You know, you, we've had a lot of these guys come up from the prospect pedigree that are 250 hitters, 260 hitters with power. Now we're getting the guys that are 300 hitters with good amount of runs scored. They can steal some bags. You know, maybe it's 15-15 in their first season with a high end upside at 20-20 or 25-25 in home run stolen bases. That's what we are always going to expect from Riley Green, a guy that hits 280, hits you 20 home runs, steals you 20 bags, solid in your lineup. Those are the guys that you can set them and forget them in fantasy lineups, not having to worry about those power trends like Jorge Soler or Joey Gallo. Um, and, I, and I hope that Green gets his chance at AAA. I need him in my, my fantasy lineup today as it is, but I want to see him get some confidence, get get the feel of the game back, and then get him called up because you're right, Torkelson has really, really struggled. I just don't think the game has slowed down enough for Torkelson yet. Yeah, I bet you drop uh, Riley Green in a month or two for another outfield prospect. That's my hot take on this. <laughs> no, nothing. Okay, we'll move on now to <laughs> we'll move on to the next prospect, and it is another person that you have, and that is O'Neill Cruz. He hit a monster home run the other day in AAA. I believe it was over 120 miles per hour, the hardest hit ball um, to date on Statcast. However, his average is a little low. In 30 games at AAA, he's batting 185 with three home runs, but he does have eight stolen bases, 18 walks to 38 strikeouts. You'd like to see that strikeout rate come down a little bit and that average to go up. So, I am I mean, we've talked about this in the past. My biggest concern with him is how tall he is and these organizations finding a hole in his swing and that kind of turning him into a Joey Gallo light, in my opinion. But I want to get your take on it, Matt. What are your thoughts on O'Neill Cruz? Yeah, I mean, I'm biased because I'm an owner in a dynasty league. Um, but I, I see the floor of what you're saying with the body type, the position, the lack of position because of that body type. I mean, he's a good shortstop. You just can't keep him there for an X amount of time because he'll be he'll hurt, right? I think the ceiling is... Just, also very hard to gauge. Uh, you see the raw ability of this, you know, off the bat velocity, 121 miles per hour off the bat. That's beyond what Aaron Judge does, beyond what Giancarlo Stanton does. Like he has the raw ability of those guys. And I think that's the ceiling. Problem is he's 23. If you look back on Judge, Judge really didn't come up till he was 25, performed almost immediately, fought injury concerns because of the size. I think we have to get O'Neill Cruz into the outfield and they have to also give him time to develop that body because once he's fully developed out, you're talking about a perennial monster at the plate. The question is, can he stay healthy? And I think you look at the numbers here. He has a 185 batting average, which is incredibly concerning, but I think he's pissed about being in AAA. I think he thought I came out of the gates hot in spring training. I deserve to be on this team. I'm probably today the best player on the Pittsburgh Pirates and I don't think that's wrong. And I think it, the, the, this is the risk you run as an organization of really how do you damage these kids mentally by sending them down and like saving a year of control. We saw that with Chris Bryant 
when he came out and had an absolute torrid spring training years ago, only to be called up and win rookie of the year. He actually didn't perform too well at AAA when he got called down because he was pissed. So I think O'Neill Cruz has to come up sooner than later to kind of shake off those those mental cobwebs, but I'm just not sure that Pittsburgh's going to do it because the longer they keep him down, the more time they save. Well, and the other thing is if he's all pissed about it, you know, betting 185 in AAA isn't really going to, you know, help you get to the majors. So I think he needs to focus on his craft. I do think he'd be one of the top three hitters on that team. I do think Brian Reynolds is probably going to hit for more average than him. Obviously not as many home runs. He is off to a cold start, though. And then Cabrian Hayes. I think those are the only two players that are probably better than O'Neill Cruz right now in that lineup. But let's move on now to the last prospect we want to talk about that we think is going to be called up shortly, and that is Nolan Gorman of the St. Louis Cardinals. They most recently demoted Paul DeYoung. In 32 games, Nolan Gorman is batting 282 with a blistering 14 home runs, which is absurd. He has two stolen bases, 12 walks, but he does have 49 strikeouts. So that does concern me a little bit. So I think we're seeing if he gets called to the majors, maybe a 225, 250 hitter with that 30% strikeout rate. Maybe he does have the power. Um, maybe that's the only thing they're waiting on to call him up is for him to, to lock in that strikeout rate at a, a 20%, 25% clip where they feel comfortable. But what do you think, Matt? Yeah, no, I'm in full agreement with you. I think, you know, strikeout rate has to go down. Um, but again, man, these high end power hitters, like this is just something that you have to sacrifice. You look at Jazz Chisholm, you look at Joey Gallo, right? Like very different body types, but very aggressive hitters when when they're searching for a pitch they like. And when they're on, you love them. Yeah, they're going to strike out here and there, but they're going to perform better for you over the long stretch, and you're going to have to be okay with that. I think Nolan Gorman's just a guy that you're going to have to come to terms with the fact that he's going to be a 25 to 30% strikeout guy. Uh, the only thing is, does the power translate to the major leagues? I've seen the home runs at AAA. I've seen the home runs at AA. Sure, some of them are absolute bombs, and there are some of them that, you know, we'll just say within 5 to 10 feet clear the wall. And I think in the major leagues, when you're facing elite-level pitchers, Spencer Torkelson will be a guy that, you know, could accredit this. It's a much different game. Um, and I want to see how Gorman translates. I, I, I don't think he's ready to be a full-time start in the major leagues with that strikeout percentage, though. I, I think if, as it stands right now, if you're going to do that at AAA – you're going to be striking out 50% of the time at the major league level. Well, even look at Juan Yapez. He hit nine home runs, I think, in the first 11 games at AAA. He called up to the majors, and the average for right now is translating. But he only has two home runs since being called up. So I, I do agree. Is the power going to be for real for Nolan Gorman? And that's something we won't know until he gets called up. Well, so and I think it's just a wait-and-see approach. I, I just don't know what kind of balls they're using in AAA because – Corbin Carroll, he's going to hit home runs, but he's not going to hit five in five games. St. Louis also has guys like Moises Gomez in the minor leagues right now who have 15 home runs and 112 at-bats. I just don't know what balls they're using. I don't know what the threshold for success is. Um, I, I just can't imagine this power production is going to translate from the minor leagues to the major leagues. You talked about Yepes, like he's a tremendous power hitter. And it's not translating. So Nolan Gorman, a guy that's a little bit smaller, isn't necessarily known as a high, high exit velo guy like O'Neill Cruz. Like, sure, the numbers are great, but 
until you come to the major leagues and prove it, I, I, I just, I'm not buying in on the hype yet. Yeah, I completely agree. I think the baseballs have a lot to do with it and there's not enough data to figure out what's really going on. I was watching in that same start of George Kirby against the Mets, Jeff McNeil hit a rocket. You could tell he barreled it up and it just sounded like, you know, when you're watching a game and you see the swing, and you're like, yep, that's gone. Like you just know off the crack of the bat and just the body language. It looked like one of those and it fell 15 feet short, didn't even make it to the warning track. And you could tell Jeff McNeil was mouthing. He goes, no fucking way. There's no way. And just seeing that it's like that there's clearly something going on with the balls. And I really hope MLB fixes it. And I don't know if it's the humidors across all of the stadiums, but I guess we'll find out. But I do think the summer months coming ahead of us is going to help the offensive production for sure. Well, and this is what you get for changing the balls in the first place. You know, now you have too too much of, of a compensation for trying to go on the opposite direction. And Major League Baseball is just going to have this issue for the next, I'd say, five years until we start to see data that replicates itself year in, year out. And we can say, okay, things are back to like an official standpoint. We have a baseball. Because it stands this year, we have no idea what's going on. You know, and when things heat up and the balls start flying out, is it because things heated up or is it because Major League Baseball panicked and offensive numbers were down and they said, get the old balls back out there? You know, like it's just overall an issue that we're going to continue to have to monitor. Well, the other thing they can clearly do too is, I forgot who was telling me, it might have been the Bleacher or the Athletic Podcast or was the CBS Podcast, but they said, all the humidors are set at 50% humidity. Maybe they drop them down to 40% humidity and those balls aren't as as humid as, as they should. And now maybe they fly just a little bit more. So having these humidors, they can change those humidity and that can drastically affect the balls too. So they don't even need to produce new balls. They can produce the same ones and just change the type of humidity that is in the ball. And maybe that makes a world of a difference and they have the opportunity to adjust it. So I guess we'll just kind of have to wait and see what happens. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, that does it for our show tonight. Um, hopefully the next time we talk to you guys, a lot of these prospects that we mentioned, uh, the top five are all in the majors and producing like all-stars. Otherwise, Matt's going to have a completely new lineup on his team. <laughs> all right. We'll talk to you guys later.